1: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher.
0: Hi, this is Desi Jeddikan.
1: That was a, I did a little choice. <laughs> I like it. Thanks. We're gonna start out by thanking our Patreon subscribers. We did not do Patreon shout-outs last week, so we have we have a few to get through. We'll get through them. We'll get through them. And if you want to subscribe to our Patreon, it is patreon.com/slash Hollywoodcrime scene. There will be a link in the show notes for easy access. Oh, nice. I've been doing that lately. I've I been, saw. I've been like very on top of my Patreon link in the show notes
0: game. That's good. Is it, does it just stay or do you have to do it it? I edit? manually do it every time. Oh, I'm wow. sure there's a way to like. I always am afraid to ask at some point. Yeah. Someone's going to be like, you can do this. You idiot. And I'm like, okay, so for three years I've been suffering.
1: <laughs> I I am sure there has to be a way.
0: Yeah, cuz it's hard to believe that cuz some people have an insane amount of links in their show notes. Most people have an insane amount of links. Yeah. I mean in, like it's in a good way.
1: Like we're the ones oh, who good. Are, we're the we're the ones who are like not on top but of I'm it. But I'm not
0: even talking about like the people who put every article link. I'm talking about the people who are just their social stuff. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, Like we're not on top of that shit at all. But But if you're doing the little link, we should just make a doc with all of them together yeah. that you could plug in, probably. I mean, we can do something. Okay. No one cares. You know what?
1: My brain already hurts right now. Let's thank our patrons. Madalena, Mary, Jenny, Julie, Allie, Meg, A.S., Allie, Michelle, Serena, Toddle Waddle, Jorge, Al, Timothy, Sarah... Sharice, Johnny, Yvonne, John, Emily, Patrick, Bronte, Christina, Lauren, Jammy, Michael, Kelly, America, Sharon, Angela, Beverly, Jenny, James, and Kelly.
0: Thank you all so much. Thank you, guys. Okay. So this week, we're going to be talking about Jeanette McCarty. She has a new memoir out called I'm Glad My Mom Died. which Excellent is title. One of the best titles I've ever heard for a memoir. Also, I love the cover of her book. It's just perfect because it has that real, it's like a vibe. Like It's a vibe. It, it looks like books from like the 70s, 80s, like just like that type of look. She nailed it. It's so good. Uh, was there any controversy about it? Were people at all complaining? I think. I
1: am sure some people gave her grief about the title, but I think it's perfect and she's doing
0: an amazing job. Look, as someone who does not or did not have a good relationship with my mother, it is like the hardest thing for people to wrap their brains around. But I instantly, of course, Got it. I mean a lot of people do, and not just me. But it's like it is a hard thing to explain to people because most people, even if it's a difficult relationship, they're still close or they have some kind of weird closeness. Uh so it's like hard for people to grasp that you wouldn't have a relationship or a good relationship with your mother. Right. Uh, but I obviously knew I would be interested in this book. Uh this story does involve child abuse, both at home and in the entertainment industry. I started reading the book before I knew you were going to do this
1: episode and I didn't finish, I haven't finished it yet. Right. But it was a page turner. It's a page turner for sure. It's, it was fascinating.
0: Well, it's, it's funny cause this is like a type of book I would typically read, but it's written in a style that is definitely more literary than a, a typical book. We probably read like a bio or even some memoirs. They're more straightforward. Yes. And this is definitely like, it has some literary flair to it. Like she's a good writer. She
1: is a good writer and she just knows what stories from her, like she, I mean, certain specific memories she has are just very compelling. Right.
0: And it's like basically in chronological order, but it does have that memoir feel to it where it's like these little snippets that piece together and it gives you the exact thing you need to know. Yeah. So Uh, I, I highly recommend the book. It's very good. So And we're going to get into the whole Dan Schneider Nickelodeon situation as well. Since the publication of Jeanette's memoir, all of that shit has come to the forefront again, and more people are speaking up about his abusive and inappropriate behavior on set, including a lot of the female writers he worked with, as well as a lot of the actors who appeared on these shows. Um, So I'm going to go through this book, as I said before, you should definitely still read it because I'm i not only going to give you glimpses of what it's like and you would you need the full effect. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I definitely want to encourage you to get this book. And if you like dark humor like we do, you're going to eat it right up. Yeah. Because it is. She's funny. It's there. She's very funny and it is dark. Okay. So Jeanette McCurdy is born in Garden Grove, California on June 26th, 1992 to Deborah and Mark McCurdy. They are a poor Mormon family. She has three older brothers and all of them are homeschooled by their mom, Deborah. So that's the situation we're going. <laughs> when I heard the Mormon angle, I was like, OK, I have a lot in common with her. When I was reading this, I was like, oh, my God, that's totally me. I did that. Like Again, when I started reading
1: this book, I was like, oh, Desi's going to love this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so when she's just two years old, her mother is diagnosed with breast cancer And this event forever alters the family's dynamic. Everyone sort of walks on eggshells to not upset the mom. She's incredibly manipulative and controlling. And they all kind of live in fear of her cancer returning once it's in remission. And she uses that to kind of control them uh, emotionally. So Jeanette tells a story that sort of illustrates Uh, the level she was at even from a very young age of keeping her mom happy. And this is at her sixth birthday. Her mom gives her a Rugrats two-piece outfit featuring her least favorite character, Angelica. (laughs) I liked Angelica. (laughs) I mean, just, when I heard, I was like, I remember getting that gift that was like too young. Yes. Uh, So obviously it just wasn't her style, but she excitedly shouts. I love it. It's my favorite gift ever just to make her mom happy. And like the sick angle of this is like her mom accepts these fake emotions because it's like it w- it's what she needs to kind of survive. Her mom's cancer survival is her purpose in life. She talks about it all the time, and it's sort of a point of pride for her. Like she loves bringing it up. She loves using it to get sympathy and discounts, Dis- anything <laughs> she can. She she's even when Jeanette starts acting, she's like, "Don't forget to mention I had cancer." Like right. she's happy to use that to get sympathy. So. Not only does she talk about it all the time, she makes the family watch a video weekly. Um, and this video shows the children's reactions after learning about her cancer diagnosis. Now, the mom watches this video like with a fervor. Yeah. Commenting on everybody's re- like, oh, look, Marcus is sad. Like just this kind of thing. Jeanette is two years old in this video. Uh, she's singing jingle bells at the top of, top of her lungs. Uh, despite the fact that everyone else is more cognizant of what this means. And they're obviously sad. Uh, The mom is like, you're a little stinker. And Jeanette feels guilty that she didn't have a sadder reaction uh, in this video, even though it's ridiculous. Now um, this cancer really hung over the house, like a dark cloud. And I thought she had a great description of it in the book. She said it was like, it was like a held breath. Like we were all just waiting For it to return. Yeah. And that year, her birthday wish is that her mother lives another year. Just so sad to me. Uh, Now, Jeanette talks about how attractive her mother was and her mom actually wanted to be an actress, but her parents didn't allow it. Uh, So she tells Jeanette that she wants her to be an actress when she asked Jeanette, um, do you want to be mommy's little actress? Jeanette knows there's only one right answer to that question. And soon after, they are off to Academy Kids, where Jeanette reads a Jello commercial copy, and she is selected to be represented as a background actor. Now, this is like an extra, basically. I didn't even know they really did this with kids. <laughs> I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I just didn't even think about it. Yeah. It's like,
1: it sounds like she went to like a showcase of some kind.
0: Yeah, So... After she gets this news, she overhears some other that i like the, I guess the agents or whatever managers talking and some kids were chosen to be principal actors. So she knew there was a better thing that you could have won or whatever during this event. Um, But she's afraid to tell her mom because her mom's happy about this background acting. And she knows if she knew there was a principal acting thing, the mom's joy would immediately fade uh, because something better was available. She talks about uh, Deborah happily signing all this paperwork, um, and she explains to Jeanette that 20% goes to the agent, 15% is put into a Coogan account, which is um, something that protects children, child actors from their parents stealing everything, basically, I guess. We'll probably do a Jackie Coogan episode. (laughs) That whole scene is like crazy. Yeah. Um, So- and she tells her that, you know, and you're lucky because I'm only taking money for my salary and other essentials. And Jeanette, even in that moment, is like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what are the essentials? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, of course, she does find out about the principal actors and immediately confronts the uh, talent manager guy uh, about that. And he says, Jeanette has to want it more. And Deborah says she does want it more. She wants it more than anything. <laughs> So obviously Deborah is speaking for herself. Now her first background work is an assignment on the X files. Deborah is excited. And Jeanette finally uh, has some interest in acting when she sees the craft service table. Completely relatable. So relatable. That is the first time I went to like a craft service table. I was like, this is all free. <laughs> like it is a wonderful like moment. Yeah. Deborah, of course, is like filling her purse with pastries. Um, for the kids or for people at home. And at some point, they find out that Jeanette might have a close up. And so she's really excited about this because Academy kids will definitely be impressed. Uh, and so Jeanette kind of starts liking these gigs, not only because of this free food, but it's also something that gets her out of her home, which she absolutely fucking hates. Now we find out that um, Deborah is a hoarder. Yeah. So her home life is really stressful. Not only because of the mom's emotional abuse and all of that stuff, but it's just um, it's, it's a house that is just jam packed full of shit. Her grandparents are also living there during this period, so it's like four kids, two parents, and grandparents like living on cots in like the living room or something. It's like Charlie Bucket's house, totally in Garden Grove, completely cramped with every. It's just like every room is cramped. There's no space to have peace, um, and her parents. Uh, I think the mom is not working at the time, but the dad has two basically minimum wage jobs. Um, So Jeanette also quickly realizes that this uh, acting success is going to fix everything for the family financially. And that puts an added pressure on her as well. Now, the house, um, another sanctuary for her outside of this house is going to church. And that was a completely relatable story for me uh just the that was why i loved going to church i didn't really care about god <laughs> i liked going to church when everything was clean and the people were all like you know professional <laughs> or whatever <laughs> everyone was wearing nice clothes and like it was just like a safe place to me even though obviously now i know better but like Uh, She had the same thing. Uh, And it was really touching hearing her talk about the stress of getting out of the house to go to church. It was just such a relatable story to me, how she had to wrangle everyone to be on time since she didn't want to miss one second of being in the sanctuary for her. And obviously, it always uh, was stressful and no one else cared. Um, And then she'd blame herself. Obviously, when they were late, she could have done better. Do you know what I mean? That feeling is just so relatable that she always talks about, like, thinking you could have done more to fix these adult problems. That part, that, like, part of the
1: book where she's talking about how she's trying to get everyone out of the house so that she's at – that they get to church on time so she can spend the maximum amount of time in church as, like, possible. That was, like, edge-of-your-seat thriller, that scene where she's just – you know, it's the, such a
0: simple goal right but it was so stressful she, i was so stressed out for and then her. when the mom rips her pantyhose at the end and they have to stop at rite aid or cbs yes. or something yes. i just felt that crushing weight of that when she knew they were going to be late right it was just like so well written and just completely stressful mm-hmm. um so this pressure to keep things in order also um plays into calming down tensions between her parents who fight a lot because there's a lot of financial issues. Um, And the mom, like we said, is she's a raging narcissist. Like that can't be easy for him to like uh, live with. Um, So she tells a story like where her mom would freak out just because the dad came home late, accuse him of every uh, crime in the book, like cheating, whatever, like, what are you doing? And she would like would threaten him with a kitchen knife and he would often sleep in the car uh, like, for a week, just, yeah. like, out there because he wasn't allowed back in the house. So, meanwhile, through all this, her background acting career is still going strong, and she ends up pl- getting, like, an extra part playing a Depression-era child in a movie called Golden Dreams. This is a film they play at Disneyland California Adventure about the history of California. So it's, like, one of those Disney-type movies that plays at the theme park. Um Now... If you weren't already disturbed by the unhealthy relationship between the mother and child, uh, we hear a really disturbing antidote from the set of this movie. While filming this movie, Jeanette has to go poop. She holds it in as long as possible because she knows her mom won't like that she has to do this. The mom complains she's being difficult when she says she has to go to the bathroom. Um, but obviously, eventually, she has no choice but to comply because she has to take a shit. <laughs> like, uh, You know what I mean? You can't hold that in. Uh, let's let's let our listeners know that she's like eight years old. I got that in my next sentence. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm just I, I was I was floored. At so,
0: the- yeah, she at this point is eight years old. And here's where we find out that Deborah still wipes her daughter when she goes to the bathroom. I was floored. I mean, it is, it is sick. Yeah. uh, So she claims it's because she doesn't trust Jeanette to do a good job. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. It's like, yeah, well, they're not going to do a good job when they first start it. But by eight, if you've been doing it as long as you should have been, it's going to be fine. It's really sad because it's like throughout the book, Deborah was
1: infantilizing her daughter while at the same time, saddling her with the burden of financially, Supporting the family.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is it's like one of those things where it's like there's so much low-key trauma happening. Yes. <laughs> like there aren't these huge events, but it's just a constant state of low key trauma. Right. Uh, and there's obviously bigger events. Um, but like, yeah, this this is like exactly right. She's infantilizing her while at the same time making her the breadwinner of the family. And putting her in charge. Yeah. I mean, at least she feels like she's in charge. Um, So obviously this is inappropriate and it's humiliating to Jeanette. She is fucking humiliated by this. Um, So Jeanette comes out of there sad and that kind of pays off for her because they need a little sad depression era girl for a key shot. And they're like, get that sad girl. And they put her in. She does a, perfect job and this is now considered a principal role so she has moved up from background when she calls um deborah calls to tell academy kids the great news they say that means she's establishing a rep as a kid who cooperate cooperates and takes direction and that actually sent a chill up my spine as well (laughs) because it's like yeah that's what you're doing you're putting these kids in and the ones who kind of rise up are the ones who like obey every command of the people in charge Don't make a fuss. Don't cause any trouble. Right. It's it's crazy. So uh, they're going to move her up now to core background. So she's still not principal. And mom is upset. So she sucks it up. But nothing is going to stop her dream. And she is pretty excited because Jeanette gets eight days as a core background on a pilot almost immediately. Now, Another good news happens for the mom. She somehow ma- manages to get from another mom the number of an agent named Barbara Cameron, who is the mother of Kirk and Candace. Now, <laughs> she has become one of the biggest youth reps in the business. I guess she repped her kids initially when they started, and now she she takes on other clients. She takes Jeanette and son Marcus to go to an audition. They love Marcus, but they think Jeanette lacks charisma. So Deborah basically Begs for them to consider accepting Jeanette as well as Marcus. She's like, I'll think about it. She and Jeanette pray together to get accepted by Kirk Cameron's mom, and Barbara finally agrees to take Jeanette on as a client if Jeanette will take acting lessons. And Jeanette is finally a principal acting audition girl. Like now, she's going out for these type of roles. Her first big audition is for Mad TV, and since this is a comedy audition, her mom has her drink a sugar free Red Bull before the audition, thinking that that will help make her more comedic, and I guess it works because she gets the part. Now, after doing terribly at a Paula Abdul dance special audition, Jeanette adds dancing lessons to her schedule. So, Jeanette's career is plugging along nicely, but she still hasn't had her break big break yet she has some commercials she's had a role on malcolm in the middle and she's being called back 75 percent of the time and according to barbara Cameron, that means she's doing something right but not right enough for deborah Jeanette is desperate to get this big break to make her mom happy. Uh, So she starts engaging in some compulsive behavior. She starts having kind of this relationship with the Holy Ghost who instructs her to do like tasks in order to do well on an audition or land a role. I mean, it's very simple things like tap this five, touch the band of your underwear, like this kind of uh, stuff. The mom, of course, isn't relying on the Holy Ghost. She starts enhancing Jeanette's natural beauty. So she starts giving Jeanette highlights. Uh, She gives her off-brand crest white strips to make her teeth whiter. And she also tints her eyelashes. When Jeanette complains about this, her mom says, you think Dakota Fanning doesn't tint hers? Uh, Jeanette is also kind of like suspicious of this. Like, if I'm such a natural beauty, why do we have to enhance so much of my beauty? Like, why isn't it enough to just leave it the way it is? Uh, and the mom is just obviously doesn't give a fuck about that. So they, they get another agent. This is Meredith fine from coast to coast agency. Barbara is gone. Deborah is obsessed with getting Jeanette an audition for a movie called because of when Dixie and Deborah is crushed to find out that despite all her enhancing, uh, the agent has said that they're looking for an ethereal beauty and Jeanette is homely. And she tells Jeanette this, (laughs) I cannot
1: believe that some an adult called a child homely.
0: And she's like a cute child. Like she's not very, that you should never say that to any child, but like she's actually very cute. Like yes. it makes zero sense. I mean, I'm sure there's a way of saying that at least. Like maybe she's like, oh, it's I can't remember who plays I, I meant to look up who uh, I think it's, was. It? is it, it Natalie Portman? No, it's Anna Sophia Robb. Okay. Uh oh Natalie Portman. I was thinking of another movie. Um Yeah. So just, I mean, I would say there, there's another way of saying it perhaps, but yeah. So the next role she doesn't get is because she's too pretty. So the mom is happy about that. Um, So she never has time to really um, do anything else. She's always preparing for the next audition. Um, She auditions for a, a TV show called Strong Medicine. It's a, the part is a girl with bipolar disorder and during this audition, she really is able to channel her rage and frustration that she always keeps bottled up, and she does a great job. Everyone is like blown away by this audition. People are clapping. People outside the audition room are clapping because they hear this uh, this like performance coming out out of the uh, room. So she feels good because she got all this like cathartic rage out of her system during this part and tears and all of that. And it also felt good for her to be good at something. She does get the part. And of course, her mom lets her know that she didn't do as good on set as the audition. Uh, just, I'm sorry. Jeanette justifies this by saying she's just trying to make me better. She, this is her being a good mom. So the mom wants more, obviously. So they make a demo reel to get an even bigger manager, a woman named Susan Curtis. Uh, so they obviously put this performance from Strong Medicine Know no, that sound is that like a lifetime show? It sounds so familiar, but I was like, it must be on like CBS or something. Yeah, I think it was one of those shows that lasted
1: like a season.
0: So they get signed to this bigger agent. Um, and Jeanette gets a big audition almost immediately. And unfortunately, she comes down with a hundred and three fever right before this big audition. It is for Karen Cisco. <laughs> I definitely remember this show. It starred Carla Gugino, is that how you say her name? Uh, And she's to play an 11 year old homeless child. So the mom is like, yes, we got to get this. Who cares if you have a fever? She she doesn't, Jeanette is sick. She's still taking her to this audition. She makes her drink Gatorade to kind of get her like, uh, more lively, I guess. I mean, Gatorade is not medicine, lady. Uh, so, they have numerous callbacks for this role. She eventually gets it. Deborah is so thrilled when she gets it. She screams, My baby is homeless. <laughs> I think that might have been when they were in a Baskin Robbins. Yes. Did you remember the Baskin Robbins story where yes. she wanted her to get the coconut ice cream?
1: Yeah, but and- Jeanette was sick of eating coconut yeah. ice cream, but she only got it because her mom wanted her to get it.
0: I mean, that is the level of control this woman had. Right. Even something like that would be upsetting to her. Like, you don't like coconut ice cream anymore. Like my baby's growing up. Right. So Jeanette is quickly paying for a lot of things in her household. After her mom pays the bills, sometimes she's allowed to get a few things. She buys Microsoft Word and The Sims for this new computer her brother has built. And she uses it to start typing her resume that made me laugh because I was like you're still like typing a resume at your level she already seemed like she's working a lot right like but she's doing it and we find out that her top special skill is crying on command that's like that seems really hard (laughs) <laughs> I was like impressed reading about this special skill. I think for also a child actor
1: cuz kids always cry in movies and TV shows. So that's like right. if you if you're a child
0: actor you can cry on command, that's like a big deal. Well, this really becomes her calling card. Like she is called the girl who cries on cue. Um all of her family members' lives are on the line to get her to cry, except of course her mother's. <laughs> so she pretends her brothers are dying to get the tears to come. Uh, and she has to switch it around every once in a while because it stops working. Um, she, I uh, mean, just think, every <laughs> time, every time she was auditioning, she was putting herself
1: emotionally through these horrific scenarios in her head. I know. Every time.
0: Also, it's interesting how, uh, well, I think I get to this in a little, in a second, so I'll just wait. But, uh, she eventually does have like an audition where the tears don't come. And right. obviously that's very um, upsetting to her when she tells her mom she wants to quit afterwards. Her mom uh, turns on the tears herself and Je- Jeanette agrees to continue. And her mom immediately breaks out into a big smile. And it's just these constant performances between these two uh, you know this mother and daughter because the child's always pretending she's fine and she's happy and the mom's always pretending she's upset and ha like it's just like it's not real like it's it's so god it's the manipulation yeah it's just unreal so it does seem like her grandpa is sort of a positive figure in all of this um he does notice how stressed Jeanette is often and he uh you know, tells her things like she shouldn't have to worry about taking care of the family and she deserves to be a kid. Now, when he says this to her for the first time, she cries for real and she comments on how it felt really good to cry for real for once, not just for these auditions. And it really broke my heart thinking of how she was only expressing feelings while acting and never really using them in real life. Uh, She was kind of saving them. So at the age of 11, Jeanette fears that she has breast cancer. She feels lumps on her chest. And when she tells her mom, her mom is like, you're getting boobs. You're getting boobies. Do you remember that?
1: <laughs> Do you remember that when you were that age and you felt those weird discs in one of your boobs? Yeah, I don't For- really remember. I was I honestly so freaked out. I'm like, what is that? Is that normal? I had the same reaction. Really? Yes.
0: I think of my situation Then I was avoiding any knowledge of those those things coming up because I had been trying to hide them for so long or like right. anything like that. So I just I don't have memories like that. But yeah, I mean, I get it for sure. Um, and this obviously boobies don't make her happy. Right. That's just as upsetting for Jeanette. She doesn't want to be grown up and she asks her mom what she can do about it. Now, part of her believes her mom won't love her if she grows up and the mom makes it seem that way all the time. Uh, so, you know, this is why she continues doing things like wiping her, uh, a normal person in this situation might say you're developing, this is perfectly fine. I'm still your mom. I'm going to be here for you, et cetera, that kind of stuff. Um, her mom suggests that there's one way to remain small and that is calorie restriction. So Jeanette begins her years long battle with more than one eating disorder She starts off being anorexic. She is on a, she's put on a thousand calorie a day diet, something she quickly cuts in half because she figures if I eat half as much, that's going to make it work even faster. So she's on 500 calories a day. She weighs herself five times a day. Her mom weighs her weekly as well as measures her thighs. I mean, this section was sick. After six months, she's wearing a kid size seven slim. She's 11 years old. Now, she gets stressed out when she has to go to the doctors because she's worried her scale will be different than the doctors and she might weigh more there than at home. Uh, and she does. She is 61 pounds rather than 59 pounds at home. And this scene is really, it's disturbing and it's its definitely a moment for Jeanette when she's seeing reality for a second she sees the doctor who is disturbed how underweight she is for her age, and she hears the word anorexia for the first time. He sees the doctor talking to his mom, and she sees her mom pretending, like, Oh God, I haven't noticed anything that she's not eating. I'm definitely going to start paying more attention to that now. And it's like, Her mom is lying. Not only does she notice it, she's encouraging this behavior for her to lose weight. So it's like this sort of like break in the fourth wall that Jeanette is seeing that it's obviously not good for her because her mom lies to the doctor. And why would she lie if everything's okay with it? So at this point we learn another disturbing detail about Jeanette and Deborah's relationship. Jeanette informs us that her mom still showers with her and she doesn't trust Jeanette to clean herself well once again, so she has to do it. Now, not only does she clean Jeanette, but she also gives her breast and what she refers to as front butt exams, which is what she calls her vagina, right? Uh, to make sure um, it's like a cancer screening, according to Deborah. Um, sometimes these are done in front of her brother, Scott, who is 16 and also showers with Jeanette sometimes. <laughs> Just demented. And when... Obviously, Scott is not into this either. Like he often stares at the glass shower wall and tries to not look or like pay attention to what's happening. Jeanette speaks of basically disassociating during these showers. I mean, this is this is child abuse. Like this is sexual abuse. Yeah. This is like it reminded me of Sybil, like the kind of exams that mom. It's like under this pretense that it's medical. Right. Uh, You're violating her body. And this causes like harm to her in her later years where she feels um, she has to protect her body and like uh, all that kind of stuff. The, when Scott asks to shower by himself, Deborah cries, uh, saying she doesn't want them to grow up. I mean, it's just awful. And these kids are just trapped in this situation. At the age of 15, she finally does get her big break. That is the role of Sam Puckett on the Nickelodeon show iCarly, and we'll take a break here. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? Rocket Money has over five million users and has helped save its members an average of seven hundred and twenty dollars a year, with over five hundred million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood crime scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood crime scene. So this is a huge deal. Uh, Dan Schneider is the creator of iCarly, and he has a huge track record of success on the network. He has created shows like Zoe 101, Drake and Josh. He did all that and Kenan and Kel and the Amanda show, like all of that kind of stuff. So he's um, just as big as it gets in kids TV at the time. Jeanette's reaction to getting this role, everything will be better now. Mom will be happy. Her dream has finally come true. Her co star on the show is Miranda Cosgrove. And Miranda is a cool girl. Like Jeanette is in awe of her. She has a sidekick. She drinks Coke. Wait, like a, the phone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like she's like a very, um, more, she's like a Mormon girl. Like she only has decaf coffee occasionally. Like, right. You can't even have caffeine. So someone drinking Coke is like, whoa, that's like drugs for yeah. Mormons. <laughs> And she like walks around set by herself and like on the lot, like she doesn't have a mom hovering over every second. Deborah, of course, warns Jeanette about being friends with her since uh, Miranda doesn't believe in God. So she's got to keep away. But we know, we know what Deborah's doing. She's a cult leader. She doesn't want any other outside influences coming into her daughter's life except for her. But Jeanette wants to be friends and the girls quickly start talking all the time on AIM. Like, that's their way of communicating every night. And I'm happy. I'm happy she got a friend outside of this mess. Yeah. So, Jeanette, uh, at this point, gives us our first glimpse of who she calls in the book the creator. Look, this is Dan Schneider. We all know it. I don't know why. I guess she was trying to avoid something, but it is kind of creepy the way yeah. she says it. Uh, so, I don't mind. But that's who she's talking about. And we immediately see an example of his abusive and inappropriate ways. The girls are filming a scene that requires bathing suits and Jeanette wants a one piece with board shorts. That's what she's comfortable wearing. That's what she wears in real life. But the creator has explicitly asked the costume designer to uh, take shots for him in bikinis. Uh, So Jeanette must pose for photos in multiple swimsuits, including several bikinis, despite the fact that she's incredibly uncomfortable doing this and showing her body in that way. Uh, Although the creator seems boisterous and friendly to them at first, Jebra warns Jeanette that she has heard about his hair-trigger temper and warns her not to get on his bad side, to just go along with what he wants. And that's why she... I mean, this is an example where the mom should have stood up for her daughter or somebody. Yeah. Uh, But no, this mom is more concerned with not pissing off this guy and having her lose this job. This whole scene is just awful. You really feel her discomfort. And I... I mean, just if you have ever been <laughs> 11 or 12 year old girl, like having to put something on that you didn't feel comfortable in is like the worst feeling. Yeah, or showing your body that way when you feel insecure about it or yeah. whatever. Uh, so I just hate uh, the mom in the scene. Soon after Jeanette sees more of this temper, um, there is a scene that involves not only her first on-screen kiss but her first kiss in real life. And the creator is constantly yelling at her to move her head more. Obviously, the more he yells at her, the more tense she gets about it. And he finally comes over to her with a full plate of cheese and candy, his mouth full of whatever he's eating. Supposedly, he eats cold cuts on set all all the time. All day. I don't know why that's like the most serial killer food (laughs) to just like be j- eating cold cuts
1: he's uh he's doing low carb does he he's just eating he's cold just cuts eating all day. like olive loaf
0: all day like this yeah. pile of meat <laughs> uh okay so he like comes over to her and silently stares at her for like five seconds which we all know is a really long amount of time when someone is angry at you yes and he angrily says to her Jeanette Moore head movement. Like it's written with a period between each uh, word in her book. So that had to feel really bad. She finally completes the scene. She knows he's unhappy with her. And I just like to point out here that this is like abusers have these moments of a direct abuse, like this language or obviously in this case, it's language, but it can be other things. Um, But outside of those moments, it's like the constantly on edge waiting for it to happen again that is almost the real abuse because <laughs> that is a non-stop terror stress that just literally breaks your body yeah it is so exhausting it, it breaks you physically
1: as much as it does mentally
0: right because those big moments are, can be seconds or minutes right. and they're over, but it's the other time that it's just, it never stops. It yeah. is with you 24 hours a day, this fear of breaking, uh, making them mad again. Right. So you start walking on eggshells, you go out of the way to, of like, you're constantly manipulating situations to make them not angry or make other people not make them angry right. as well. And she has a lot of experiences with this because she has an abusive narcissist for a mom as well. So this is like, she's, she's got this down sadly. Um, So she's catering to him now as well, constantly. And um, she's emotionally always on guard after one season, the creator sets up a lunch meeting with Jeanette and her mom. And her mom, of course, is like, Oh, he's going to offer you a spinoff. Like she's just thrilled about this. And this is something he does. He constantly uses the same actors. Uh, he gives them spin-offs. Like, everyone he works with, he's probably worked with on another show before. And it's like, as generous as that sounds, it's also another way he manipulates things. Like, he puts these kids' lives and fates in his hands, and he uses that power to kind of get them to do what he wants. So... Everything with him, it's like, yes, he's complimenting me, but I know it's going to turn around and bite me in the ass as well. So he does say he wants to give Jeanette her own show, but not yet because iCarly is still a huge hit. So this is about the future. She's um, obviously afraid and wants to please him. Um, She's aware of how he operates at this point. Uh, And she knows that even though he's complimenting her now, tomorrow he'll be tearing her down and humiliating her just like this had never happened. So she keeps it in check. And he's doing this
1: like on set with other people around. Oh, yeah. Like like he's, he's, I didn't get to this part in the book, but I imagine he's like publicly humiliating her as well, right? Right,
0: Because he likes other people to see because then they all are in fear that it will happen to them. So no one no one protects each other because they're too worried about themselves having it happen to them and right. not in a bad way I'm just saying everyone had to protect themselves in this situation because no one higher up was doing anything yeah so and she just is like she's wary of this great news he basically confirms her fears that he will still be awful to her um, he says that you know she's gonna get this as long as you keep doing what you're doing, listen to me, take my advice and let me guide, guide you. It's sort of the contingency to have this show happen. Uh, so you know the mom's going to make that happen. Um, Jeanette is a child star now. She's like recognized when she goes out. And this is the, this is the when she's at this level, this is where she really recognizes that while her mom is happy and living her dreams, she's not happy. And her mom's happiness has come at the expense of her own happiness. And this is the first thing that really drives a wedge between the two as she kind of realizes this and sees what their relationship really is. Um, Jeanette has sort of been slacking on her calorie restriction at this point. She's been enjoying craft services. She has friends now so they go out to the commissary and have lunch uh her eating order i'm sorry her eating disorder really flares up again though when she gets her period at the age of 16 now i'm not sure if this was the case here but getting your period at 16 that can be a sign of your eating disorder right like absolutely yeah it delays puberty for some girls yes because you don't have like the fat and like all of that stuff so i don't know if that happened here but it probably did um, and so once again, calorie restriction is how you don't grow up. So she gets back on that. She is soon splitting Nutrisystem meals with her mom, splitting what, them, splitting a Nutrisystem meal. Oh. We know we would be starving. <laughs> if you tried to take a bite of my Nutrisystem meal, I'd be stab you with a fork, right. right? That is the smallest portions. Oh. So at some point like most child stars at this time, she embarks on a music career and she doesn't do pop. She's doing the country music route. So she uh, has to go to Nashville. She is about to embark on her first little tour. It's like kind of like uh, the old school Tiffany, like going to malls and like radio stations, etc. But right as she's about to leave on this tour, she finds out her mother's cancer has returned. But Deborah insists that Jeanette continue the tour despite this bad news and that she'll be fine. Uh, as awful as she initially feels, she's 18 now and Jeanette is finally free from her mother's mother's suffocation. Like, yeah. she's on her own for the first time in her life. Uh, this obviously makes her feel guilty as well. Like she just always is in between guilt and happiness. When she feels happy, she feels guilty because her happiness and her mom's is not the same goal. (laughs) Right. So life is also much easier for her. She just can be, uh, as she's realizing how exhausting it's been catering to her mother's moods and needs. It's just like, it's just all coming crashing down on what she's been living through these past years. She's also starting to really eat. And she's like, I it's like, I felt full. It was like this great feeling to feel full finally, because she's just eating meals. Um, But of course, as she's doing that, she's fearing what her mom will say when she returns and sees that she's gained a few pounds. She also has her first real kiss with a band member named Lucas. And that goes pretty well. But just to show how developed me, like how like sort of behind she is developmentally. Like she's actually doesn't know why she got wet. Oh, and she's disgusted. She's like, what happened? So she has no, like she doesn't know what anything means. So obviously they didn't have a frank discussion about sex. Uh, No, her and her mom. (laughs) No. And she actually takes a shower and like washes it off. She's like disgusted with herself. So when she returns home, she's shocked by her mother's appearance. Her mom has, lost a ton of weight and she was already super thin. She's very gaunt. She's frail looking. She's lost all of her hair from the chemo. And Jeanette is almost relieved when her mom sees her and immediately says, you've gotten chunky. You need (gasps) to go on a diet. Cause it's kind of like, it's still my mom. Right. Like, even though she looks like this, it's still her inside. Like just saying this awful thing to her the moment she walks up to her. So, Things back on the iCarly set get weirder and more inappropriate. As the contract for her new show is being worked out, the dinners with the creator become more and more frequent. At one dinner, he tells her that the Victorious Kids, that's another one of his shows, are more edgy. They get drunk together, and um, all the iCarly kids are all so wholesome and boring. So he encourages then 18-year-old Jeanette to drink alcohol. Jesus. He... He basically pressures her until she finally agrees to have some of his drink. He like gives her like a whiskey drink and she drinks and he's very happy when she drinks this alcohol. He reminds her that he could give anyone their own show, but he chose her, which is simultaneously flattering and unsettling. Yeah, he seems drunk in this scene. The way she wrote it, he like her name is spelled wrong, like as if a drunk person is saying it. He's repeating himself And at some point, he notices Jeanette has goosebumps over her arms, and he's like, oh, do you want my jacket? While putting it on her, he also comments on how tense she is. The backpats turn into massages, and he continues rubbing her shoulders as he tells her how lucky she is. Now, at this point, Deborah is very sick. She now uses a wheelchair, and she's no longer able to drive Jeanette to work every morning, which is what she does. So Jeanette is finally able to get her first apartment, something she's obviously thrilled about. But that comes with guilt as well. Like, is she leaving her mom? Is her mom upset? While moving in, her mom uh, helps her, obviously, with her grandfather. She asks Jeanette if she can sleep over that first night because she doesn't have chemo the next day or have a doctor's visit the next day. She asked to sleep over for the next three months, and then she stops asking. She lives in, in the apartment with Jeanette now. <laughs> no, she basically low key moved in without ever asking, <laughs> and Jeanette couldn't say no or kick her out. Oh no! Isn't that awful? So this becomes a problem because Jeanette begins dating a coworker named Joe. Jeanette is out more, and obviously they don't spend as much time together. Because she can't go back to her place. Right. So she always is going other places uh, to meet him up. Her mom, who sleeps in her bed with her every night to cuddle. Not in the bed. Yes. In the bed. <laughs> in the bed with Jeanette every night. Oi. So she decides they're going to go to a hotel together, her, her and Joe. Okay. Um, he has recently dumped his fiance of five years to be with Jeanette. So when they're at this hotel, he has picked her up. He's drunk they go to this hotel he immediately starts sobbing because he's like unsure of uh if he has done the right thing leaving his fiancee of five years and Jeanette won't even have sex with him that's what he says wait that's uh, what? that's what he's like he's like I, what have I done I left my fiance and you won't even have sex with me oh like, god he's 32 she's 18 oh no so mess he basically pressures her into giving him a blowjob. Obviously, Jeanette has never done this before. She does her best, but she really starts to shine when Joe starts telling her what to do. She hilariously says in the book, I'm nothing without direction. <laughs> so the direction works well for Jeanette. This leads to him coming in her mouth, and she doesn't know what that is. Oh, so God. she's like, what? <laughs> and immediately spitting it out. He tells her it's cum. And then that immediately makes him like, ugh, what have I done? Like, I'm with a girl who doesn't even know what cum is. Like, this is a huge moment for him. Oh my God. Uh, so, this dysfunctional relationship continues despite the lack of sex. Jeanette, uh, she's waiting for marriage. She does perfect the blowjob, however. Uh, She talks about that. A year later, they are in Hawaii together. This is an iCarly season five rap gift. Her mom still doesn't know about Joe, uh, and she thinks she's in Hawaii with her gay friend, Colton. But paparazzi paparazzi, paparazzi snapped Jeanette with a mystery man, and the next day, it's all over. Remember, uh, what is it? Just... Just Jared. Yes. <laughs> it's all over Just Jared. Not
1: Just Jared. What is it?
0: Yes. No, I just... Oh, okay. Not Just oh, yeah. Jared. I, was like, it, I was like, do I have it wrong? No, it is Just Jared. That was like the biggest site. And it, it focused on a lot of teen stars, right? Yes. So, I mean, that was the site where I'm like, I don't even know who that is. Like, sometimes. <laughs> it's like some Disney star. Yeah, like.
1: that's, yeah, that's the site where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm out of the loop with the teen yeah. stars at yeah. this
0: point. So... She wakes up the next like she sees the paparazzi and she's like, "Mm -hmm, do I have to worry about this? Yeah, she does have to worry about it. The next day she wakes up to 37 missed calls from her mom and an absolutely evil, evil email. In this email, her mom says, basically called her a slut, a floozy, a conniving liar. And she says, and you're clearly eating your guilt because you look pudgy in these (gasps) pictures. Jeanette's like in a bikini and board shorts, like they're in canoes and like in the water in Hawaii. Uh, She says, thinking of his ding dong inside of you makes me sick. She calls her an ugly monster. And she says, Deborah and her brothers have all disowned Jeanette. She signs the letter from mom And then she puts in quote, well, Deborah, I guess, since you're disowned now. And then she wrote, P.S. We need money for a new fridge. Please send ASAP. (laughs) Our yogurt has gone bad. (laughs) She called it a ding dong? A ding dong. This woman is horrendous. She's a ding dong. uh,
1: Wait, I'm sorry. This is still Joe?
0: Yes, it's the same guy. So this is only, they've been together a year. I thought he worked on, did he work on iCarly? Yeah, I don't know what he did on it. He wasn't it. an actor. but No, he, he, he was worked. like a set person or okay. like he okay. was like a, you know, behind the scenes. Right. So she at that point puts her phone in the safe to kind of salvage the last few days of the vacation. So she doesn't have to get any messages from her mom, obviously, when they they go to leave and get the phone out of the safe. there are is forty five missed calls. there's numerous emails, texts, etc, uh, including one where Deb has said she has written an open letter to Jeanette's fans telling them they need to abandon Jeanette immediately <gasps> because of this behavior. She tells Jeanette she will steal all of Jeanette's fans by signing up for Vine and making comedy videos. no, and that's what she thinks she's gonna do the- now Jeanette's <laughs> like she didn't really post this to my fans did she she goes to Jeanette's fan page and it is on the front page of the fan page this letter no yes Yes. and she thought she was going to be a vine star a vine star this woman (laughs) is the devil (laughs) that's your plan to become a vine star so she also tells Jeanette that Jeanette is the reason her cancer came back oh my god the stress of dealing with her is why it came back so obviously Jeanette is sick with emotion about this i mean uh the whole plane ride back she she composes this email that is basically pleading to her mom to please forgive her i miss you da 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 she doesn't send it um until she lands in la but it's like this stressful plane ride back that she's just literally sick to her stomach um when they land she sends the email and almost immediately deb texts back sure let's meet up And she reminds her about the money that they need for the fridge. So all of this was just another emotional like, trick to get Jeanette back where she wanted her. Now, 2012 is a hard year for Jeanette. Her mother's health health is rapidly declining. iCarly ends, and she worries about her friendship with Miranda surviving, because that has become a very close friendship for her. And she breaks up with Joe finally. So that's good. But I'm sure it was sad at the moment. Her mom has surgery for, I'm not quite sure what the surgery was for, but it has complications which leave her in a coma. Jeanette is by her side and talking to her to kind of, you know, they always tell you to talk to them even though they're not uh, conscious. And she tries to cheer her up by saying, I'm back to 89 pounds. Like this is the thing she tries to, to wake her mom out of the coma with. Her mom is given 48 hours to live, but she actually ends up getting out of the woods somehow. Um, She remains hospitalized, but she's like out of that dire state. Jeanette um, starts filming her new show, Sam and Cat. Now, this was supposed to be a vehicle for Jeanette, a star vehicle, but now they've added a co-star for her. And that co-star is Ariana Grande. That's how you say her name, right? I've. I, I know I've said Ariana Grande, but I heard her correct. People. No, it's, it's not Grande. I've heard it's Grande before. Grande. But I just say Grande. Okay. Ariana Grande. Uh, so. And, you know, basically her days now are filming Sam and Cat, and then going to the hospital and spending time with her mom every day. When her mom is finally stable, uh, Jeanette decides to head to San Francisco with her gay friend Colton. This is one of her close friends. And when the minute they arrive in San Francisco to their hotel, they start doing the little bottles, taking shots from those little hotel bottle uh, bottles of alcohol and they're eating them with Sour Patch Kids. Uh, They get really drunk. And Jeanette is like, this is the first time she's gotten drunk other than that alcohol she tasted with uh, Dan Schneider. And she's like, this is wonderful. (laughs) This is the escape that Jeanette has needed. Like when she's drunk, her mom doesn't like berate her. That voice is not in her head. Uh, So this is the beginning of her drinking problem. Like this definitely uh, starts off great for her and ends up being very bad. Now she's trying to continue living as normally as possible, even though her mom is still in this borderline hospice situation still. Uh, She buys a house. She starts dating a new guy. Um, But things are almost too normal because very soon the other shoe drops. One day, as she is about to board a flight to New York, she gets a call from her dad saying it's time for real. Get to the hospital. Now, Jeanette is initially like, are you sure? Because this has been something that has happened a lot the past few years with her mom. Her mom is always on the verge of dying. But the dad is insistent this time. She arrives at the hospital, the whole family is there. And on this day, September 20th, 2013, she, Deborah takes her final breath while the family is with her. By the time Jeanette checks her phone at this, after this incident or incident after the death, uh, it's already on e news. What? It's already been leaked that the mom has died. That's and she has wild. hundreds of text messages from people, uh, whatever, people she doesn't even probably really know. Um, so the night after her mom dies, obviously she's like in a weird state, uh, because this person has been the center of her universe for so long in a negative way. Um, and she does the thing that brings her comfort now. She gets really drunk. She gets so drunk that she even eats a real meal, like a whole, she gets a teriyaki bowl at like, they they go to some restaurant with her friends and she gets a huge teriyaki bowl. When she gets home to her empty house, she decides to try something new. She rushes to her bathroom and she makes herself throw up. And this becomes her new way of making up when she makes the mistake of eating. So, despite her mom being dead, her mom is still stressing her out from beyond the grave because Jeanette is haunted by a promise she made her mom. Her mom's dying wish was that she sing Bette Midler's Wind Beneath My Wings at her funeral. No. (laughs) Can you imagine requesting that of someone? Like, that is someone's choice to say that you're the wind beneath my wings. You can't tell someone that that they're they're the the wind. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's outrageous. But when the time comes... Jeanette, I mean, she shows up with no sheet music. This is not going to happen. She thinks she's going to start singing A acapella at the the mic. She's like the last speaker. She's like the closer. Right. She describes it, I think. Uh, And she literally just lets out a howl and starts crying at the podium instead. Oh. Uh, And she said, she's like, this was like even better than my audition when I (laughs) played the bipolar girl. Uh, So... Now things on the set of Sam and Kat are also wearing on Jeanette's nerves as she becomes resentful of how much attention and time Ariana gets and how much time she gets off um, for her music career. So in the past, Jeanette had booked feature films and wasn't allowed time off from her shows to pursue them. But Ariana is given... Uh, all kinds of considerations and everything she wants. She basically gets like Jeanette sometimes acts with a box. Like they pretend Ariana's in this box because she's not there. Why? So she has to do all these considerations and it's like, it's hurtful to her that yeah. she wasn't given those opportunities. And like I said before, Dan Schneider plays these people against each other too. I just felt really bad for her yeah um he has his favorites and clearly ariana is his favorite at this time and he uses that to create strife amongst these girls he all he wants them all vying for his approval she's sick of being the good sport she's bitter and resentful and i think ariana just gets the focus of it at this point um for a few reasons ariana had a perfect childhood She had a non-cancer mom. She was wealthy. She grew up with privilege. Obviously, Jeanette did not have that. She she grew up in Garden Grove. Um, This spinoff, as I mentioned before, was supposed to be her vehicle, not a duo thing. And Ariana is on every 30 under 30 list. Um, She's just jealous and she can't help but compare herself to Ariana, especially when Ariana gets the cover of Elle. Um, like the music stuff, she's like, well, I don't do that anymore. So who cares about that? But this was like playing on her insecurities about how she looks like. Why did she get that? And right. I don't get offered these things. Her last straw is finding out Ariana had played charade at um, Tom Hanks house, which I thought was really funny. He like played, that was she Ariana played charades at Tom Hanks's house with Tom Hanks and his family. Not- I don't know why. <laughs> But that was like, she was like, well, that's the, the last straw. Like I was like, <laughs> I relate to a petty beef. Like <laughs> I, I, re- I relate to
1: definitely like a low stakes thing being the last straw. Yeah.
0: So it was just like everything Ariana did at this point felt like a personal attack or slight to Jeanette. This was like the, they were rumored to not get along. Like this was a, this was like a big Hollywood rumor at the time. I mean, I, I think I mentioned to you, so I used to write about these shows cause I wrote for a teen website So I had to know all these things and I even wrote like articles about inappropriate jokes on these shows. Yeah. Uh, and I would find them and there's a lot, uh, we'll get into that more later, but so yeah. So her acting, this job is just sucks. She hates acting and she doesn't even like going there. It fucking sucks. Her drinking increases as does her bulimia. She finally just gets her virginity out of the way at some point. It's a obviously a very unsatisfying romp. Uh, <laughs> she feels really unhealthy. Her body, her, I mean, she's basically abusing her body daily with yeah. bulimia and alcohol. She's completely depleted of like vitamins and everything. But she says she's never had more compliments on her body. Oh. So she is literally at her sickest, and everyone's like, You look great. <laughs> like God. so part of her is like, Well, this must bulimia is really working out for me. Um, one of the sort of bright spots for Jeanette is that um, there a part of her deal for signing on to this spin-off is that she'll be allowed to direct an episode. And she's really looking for her career post-acting she's always known the life of a child actor is kind of done at a certain age she's already in her early 20s at this point and very few transition into adult stardom especially Nickelodeon kids like she sees that as even like a lower level I think besides this new class of
1: like Ariana Grande obviously but like who else is there Keenan Thompson
0: right it's like obviously there's some that that break it through but there's way more that we don't even know In terms of child stars. Yes. On Nickelodeon. On Nickelodeon. So when she comes in one day and looks at like the call sheet or whatever, where they have the director's schedule, she's furious because she sees that her name has been removed from the schedule. Now she has to film that day. So she literally makes herself dirt sick during filming. She's so upset about this. She collapses on the floor and sobs and basically starts having a panic attack. She's carried off the set by people like Aww. incapable of moving uh, while she's in there. A producer of the show who she doesn't name Reveals to her that the reason she got removed from the schedule is someone threatened to quit if she was the director, oh. and they couldn't afford that person quitting, so they removed Jeanette. Now I don't know if that person was Ariana; she doesn't say, but it it kind of like makes sense in that circumstance because if Jeanette really didn't like her, I could see Ari- Ariana like legitimately having a reason to not want her to direct her, right? Like. I mean, I'm not I don't know if that's the case, but I don't doubt that that's probably what the rumor is. Wow. So she really spirals uh, after this. Now she is disgusted with her bulimia, wishing she still had the control of anorexia again. And even though her mom is gone, her grandma takes over the mantle like the grandma is a real cunt there's like some (laughs) phone calls that happen where you're like evil grandma like it's like shocking we're like you bitch like (laughs) wait the grandma calls her a bitch yes like (laughs) it's like shot these phone calls are shopping shocking it was like what the hell i mean i guess that's deborah's mom so maybe that's where she got it from so she hates acting at this point but she still goes to set every day because she's under contract. She really has no choice. The mood on the set is really bad. And it's not about Jeanette, it's because of the creator. Like, it is just a disaster on this set. Now, the creator has finally faced some consequences for his emotional abuse on set at this point. He now has to sit offset and watch everything on like a monitor. He doesn't, he's not allowed to talk directly to the actors anymore. So, all notes he has for the actors must be relayed through a third party. And this makes the days go from 13 hours to 17 hour days because of all of this uh, communication that has to happen this way. And that probably just makes everything way worse. Jeanette is obviously exhausted. She literally comes home every night and just gets plastered on whiskey and goes back to set the next morning. Like this turnaround is crazy. One night before she passes out, she sees an urgent email from her manager to call her first thing in the morning. She calls the next morning and is ecstatic to find out that Sam and Cat has been canceled. <laughs> She's so happy. And the manager's like, we thought you'd be happy. She's also told that they have offered her $300,000. For what, she asks. It's not just a thank you gift, but it's in exchange for her to never talk publicly, publicly about her time with Nickelodeon, specifically the creator. Wow. Jeanette refuses the money. So I'm going to... I had this whole thing I was going to do, but now I'm going to save it for another episode. So I'm just going to wrap up uh, the rest of this bio. I'm sorry, not bio memoir of Jeanette's. Um, And I'm going to do this special thing about all the Dan Schneider stuff on the mini episode. So as far as Jeanette's life goes after this point, uh, it's just the remainder of her, her twenties is going to a lot of therapy She's dealing with not only her eating disorders, but she's really digging deep into how fucked up her relationship with her mom was. One huge revelation that comes out during therapy and like by talking to some people in her family, she finds out that Mark is not the kid's real dad. Marcus? Mark. Oh. The dad, that's not her dad. She oh, has, oh, the dad's name is Mark? The dad's name is Mark. The, the son's name is Marcus. Right. He's not their real father. <laughs> None of them knew that this was the case until like they were in their 20s. Wow. And obviously I said, that's something that happened to me. I was much younger. So I think it's even more fucked up. Like it's a mind fucked at like eight. Right. But you can really not comprehend it almost. It's like, okay. Um, So this is like crazy. She also gets into a relationship that seems kind of ideal at first. He seems like a really good guy. And unfortunately, unfortunately he ends up being very troubled. He has some kind of severe mental illness and that keeps her in the relationship because she doesn't want to leave him in that state. Obviously, he is institutionalized and gets back out. And she does manage to finally um, break free of this relationship. Uh, despite her guilt, it is the right thing to do. She also finally gets sober. She, she gets even worse into her alcoholism and then finally uh, gets out of that as well her relationship with miranda does continue miranda's actually the one who drives her to meet her real dad he's like a jazz musician Aww. and plays at a club in la it's actually a very sweet story like they go watch the concert and at the end while he's about to walk off stage she runs up to him and is like we have something in common But <laughs> like that's what she comes up with to say and the minute he sees her he knows and they both start crying oh it's sad because he knew and he didn't want to um, mess up their lives, so he never said anything because he wanted, he didn't want to tell them and break the news to them Aww. in that way. So it seemed uh, a really sweet little uh, moment. Now, Miranda also. There's an iCarly reboot that comes up in the last few years, and Miranda obviously is calling her to kind of convince her to do it. She does find the strength to say no, which is a big deal for a former people pleaser. She's truly done acting, and no amount of money is worth sacrificing her mental health. Um, She does now focus more on writing and directing, and she actually does a stage version of this book. Cool. I, and I don't know if it started off as that. And then she wrote the book based on that. But that seems uh, interesting. I would yeah. want to go see it. Uh, and now she's really focused on not becoming her mom. Like, that is that is sort of, like, the push behind all of this therapy. She says at some point in the book, at the, towards the end, she doesn't want to be in her 40s living off of steamed vegetables and chewy granola bars. <laughs> <laughs> Like her mom literally just lived off of that. And it's yeah. like, I don't want to restrict myself for the rest of my life. Like that's fucking sad. And she says, my mother didn't get better, but I will. A big step in the process uh, is breaking another promise to her mom. Her mom requested that Jeanette visit her grave every day, every day, every day for the rest of her life. So obviously She doesn't do that. Like it's like once a week and then she's it's less and less and less. And obviously she feels guilty about that. She ends her book with a story. Uh, It had been a year. So this is about a year ago. So the last time she had gone to the grave was a year before that. She finds herself uh, staring at her mom's headstone, reading the adjectives on them. And there's like a lot because her family couldn't decide. So they each got to pick one Uh. for the, the headstone. There are adjectives like brave, kind, loyal, thoughtful, genuine. And she's just staring at it. And she's like, this is such a lie. This is not who she was. Like She talks about You know, my mom was emotionally and verbally and physically abusive to me my whole life. Um, And I put her on a pedestal. Uh, So she cries because in that moment, she does miss her mom. And she starts to fantasize about how her mom might have changed if she survived cancer. But she knows she wouldn't have changed. Uh, And if she survived, Jeanette would be even worse off than she was before her mother's death. Everything would have escalated. And now she is finally free of it all. And she knows that that is her last visit to her mom's grave. Wow. And that's sort of, now you see why the title of the book is what it is. It's like, that was the only way she could get her freedom. Yeah. I mean, we've we've kind of, it's kind of like that story. We um, watched the documentary where the son kills his dad. Right. It was like, obviously she didn't kill her mom. But like it was that same sort of thing. Like now I'm finally free of this man. It was the only way he could get out. Right, right. right. It's such a horrible, um horrible thing for a person to go through.
1: It's just incredible. I really yeah, like I said, I, I only read like the first half of the book, but I really enjoyed it and I'm I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it because there's there's a lot of stories in there, obviously. Right. We this is just,
0: you know, an hour. Yeah. Of it. Right. When obviously the book is probably multiple hours yeah. of reading time. Like yes. it's a lot more in the book. So you should definitely get it. It's a fast read, I think. Yes. Um, and even when taking notes, like <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was yeah. still pretty fast. Yeah. And I did read through the final chapters. I just decided to condense it because it was like a lot of her talking about her feelings and it wasn't like a story to tell really. Right. But it's definitely worth reading. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's the story of that. I will have way more on the Dan Schneider situation because there's a lot of updates in the past week that we will discuss on the mini episode. And I think you guys would be really interested in hearing it. It's just, it's really fucked up.
1: I think we've gotten a lot of requests over like the past couple of years to talk about him. I
0: mean, it's long been on my radar. Like I said, because of the work I did a long time ago, I was like, what? I was like, this story is really like, what's going on here? Yeah. Like why aren't we talking about this? Especially because he kind of missed the Me Too movement almost. Like he didn't get taken down then and he was so big, it's right. kinda wild that he didn't. Um I But yeah, so there's a lot to get into to catch everyone up on that story. Yeah, um, yeah. And we I'm will looking do that. forward to it. Yes. So we'll post a picture.
1: We're going to record our after show now, and we will see you all later for the mini episode. Bye. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science?